Uh, If you could, open your Bibles up to Mark chapter 8. That's where we're going to be this morning. So in Mark chapter 8, and as we just prepare to engage with this passage, um, I want to ask you, what do you long for? What do you long for? If you could point to something that your desires, oh, I cannot wait for that to occur. So let's, uh, let, let's talk about this in like the simplest terms possible. If you are Alex and you wake up in the middle of the night, what do you long for? You wake up in the middle of the night, you long for a midnight snack. Like I cannot wait to, like there's something in me, it takes all the self-control that the Holy Spirit can muster in the middle of the night for me to say no to a snack because I long for a snack, right? Okay, so uh, maybe, uh, maybe if you have worked hard, like really hard all week, and you, uh, you come now, you're at your weekend, and like, what do you long for? Oh my goodness, I just long to get some sleep, right? Like, uh, or having a child, right? Like, you wake up in the middle of the night, you have to put the child back to sleep and all this stuff. Like, you long for sleep, right? That is the feeling that you get. Introverts, after a busy week, introverts long for peace and quiet. Right? Like, that's what we want. We want everything to be chill. We might prefer to be by ourselves or like one of our favorite people, but that's like, that's pretty much it, right? Extroverts, after a year of COVID 19, long for people and parties, right? Like, that is what you want so much. Right? So, so these are, these are longings, right? So let's then, this, these are kind of the simpler pictures of our longings. Let's, let's ask the question in a way that would make it go bigger picture. The question is this. What do you long to witness? What do you long to witness? What do you long to see? Like, uh, so when I ask this question, I think of like in particular vacation destinations, right? Like, what do I long to see? I remember, like, reading C.S. Lewis's books, particularly his autobiography. He would write about, like, kind of the hills and fields of Ireland, and the way that it was, like, just the beauty that existed, the way that he was able to take it in, and he described that, and, like, he described it in such a way, he's such an amazing author and writer, like, I longed to witness, I longed to see the things that he was writing about. Like, uh, I, I think about the fact that I have uh, one child and then another one who is on the way, and I have longings for my child. Like the things that I long to witness, I long to witness them joyfully serving and loving the Lord in their life. Like that is a longing that is deep inside of me. Um, Investing. If you've ever spent time investing in another person's life, Right? You've given time to investing in a person. You have this longing in your soul to see them overcome all the obstacles that they might be facing, the things that are standing in their way from who they are right now to who God wants them to be. You have that longing inside of you. Like, as a Christian, uh, as the Holy Spirit kind of trains us up and shapes us, one of the longings that he brings about in our soul is like this longing to see Jesus in his new creation that he has wrought, right? Um, 
this new thing that he is doing and making that he is bringing to the earth. I, I, when I was, the, the Holy Spirit was kind of forming this longing in me, there was a particular song written by Jeremy Camp. Um, there will be a day was the name of that song. Such a good song. Uh, and, and the words are, there will be a day with no more tears, no more pain, and no more fears. There will be a day when the burdens of this place will be no more. We'll see Jesus face to face, right? That the longing that occurs inside of the heart of a Christian to shape our desires to actually await the day that we get to see our Savior face to face in everything that he is going to bring. Right, so what do you long to witness? That's the question. So our focus this morning is actually the longing of this church. We're going to focus in on what does this church long to witness, and then we're, we're going to kind of parallel that with what the Jews of Jesus' day were longing to witness, what they longed to see. So as a church, last week, we expressed some things that we long as a church to witness. We, we long to see lives renovated. We long to see people who are not currently uh, trusting in Jesus come to trust in Jesus and have their lives renewed in Jesus, that he would bring about abundant life in them. We long for this church to be a part of that in this community and, and actually bring that about. That is something that we long to see happen. The Jews of Jesus' day, there was something that they longed to witness. They longed to see the Messiah. They longed to see the Christ. Every time you read Jesus Christ in your Bible, the word Christ means Messiah. You see, Israel had this promise that as a nation, they were going to be restored. That God was going to, to give them back their nation, their, their land, their people, right? They were going to, to then reign victorious. Their king was going to come and he was going to make them a strong nation against all of the other nations. They were going to have freedom from their oppressors. Right now, Rome is in control of their land. He, they, Rome is in control of everything that they have, but, but they had this promise, one day we are going to be free, right? And the Messiah was going to bring that about. They longed to see what the Messiah would bring. So the word Messiah, it literally means anointed one, right? So, and this is how uh, Israel's, Israelites would describe their kings. The kings would be anointed with oil to mark their kingship, right? But the, the Jews of Jesus's day, when they heard Messiah, the title Messiah, what they heard was our victorious king, right? Our king is coming to rescue us. So this morning, we're going to listen to Jesus address these longings, these longings that these people had, and we're going to relate it to longings that we have as a church. So I kind of wanted to set the stage for our passage this morning. Jesus has recently performed some pretty massive miracles. Uh, he fed 4,000 people on the beach, people uh, longing to hear what he had to say, but they were hungry. And so Jesus was somehow miraculously able to multiply food so that these people could eat. And, uh, and then in the process of all of this, there's this interchange with Peter, and uh, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. You are the victorious king who is coming. And and we see all of this happening, but what we understand is that when uh, the Jews of Jesus' day said Messiah and Jesus said Messiah, they had some different ideas in mind. And so, uh, so there's a lot of people who are longing to witness what Jesus would bring about. 
They're longing to witness the victory. They're longing to witness the oppressors undone. And so, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Jesus' words to these people who are longing to see what Jesus has to bring. And we're going to relate them. We're going to look specifically at these crowds, what they long to witness, and then we're going to look at our church and what we long to witness. So to anyone who says to Jesus, Jesus, I long to witness what you bring. I long to be a part of it. I long to interact with it. I long to see these things. Jesus shares these words. Mark eight thirty four. And calling the crowd to him, with his disciples, so we've got two groups interacting here, the crowd and the disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me. So, so in this moment, Jesus realizes that he is speaking about their longings. The crowds that are there, they're longing to see him work miracles and do different things. The disciples are longing to see what he has to bring. And, and Jesus knows that, that he's speaking about their longings. If you long to come after me, if you long to be a part of what I am bringing, what you would choose to pursue. And so then he recognizes, you know what? Some of you, you'll see me as the one who will deliver on the things that you long to witness. Like if you interact with me, if you're a part of what I'm bringing out, then you're going to make me the person who's going to bring about the things that you long for. So the problem is, is that every Israelite has a different picture of how that's going to happen, right? Like some, especially the religious zealots of the day, they're going to actually think that Jesus is going to be this king who is going to form like this militia, a mighty military. He's going to raise up an army that will go and confront Caesar's army. And as he raises these people up, they are going to undo Rome through military might. That's what some people have the expectation of. Others are going to expect him to approach Caesar at his throne and work mighty miracles, much like Moses did with Pharaoh. They're going to look to Jesus to be the Messiah who would perform wonders in front of Caesar that he cannot help but have to answer to the holy God for, right? That's what they're expecting and some others. Some others are actually expecting the Messiah to come and like reinvigorate the temple, uh, temple worship and everything that has to do with it. And, And what reinvigorating the temple means is that God's presence in the temple will finally become powerful, right? And if God's presence is powerful in that place, it will not, like you can't help but then to see the nation restored. So they all have a bunch of different ideas about what Jesus is gonna do. And our reality is, is that we all likely have a different picture of how God will lead this church to make an impact in our community, right? Some might be inclined to think like, hey, we're just going to be able to produce a lot of really, really good content, good music, good teaching, uh, good, uh, you know, designs and all of that. If we produce enough good content and put it out there in the right ways, then what will eventually happen is that people will start to show up and their lives will be changed, right? Like that's one way it could happen. Some might be inclined to think, you know what, like we're going to find the right program. And if we find and institute the right program, we'll see enough people be interested in that program and then they'll jump in and that program is going to be what shapes them and changes them into the people that Jesus desires them to be. And still some others might think, you know what, we'll, like, we'll just start inviting everybody to our worship services. 
right? And if we, if we just spend enough of our energy inviting, we'll get them to show up, right? And then they'll be a part of the music and they'll get to hear the preaching and they'll hear the gospel preached and they'll believe in Jesus and then their lives will be renovated, right? Like the, one of those, like you might have any category of things you expect, like if we do this, this is the way it's gonna happen, right? And Jesus says, for those who long to witness what the Messiah has to bring, what he has to offer, it actually requires three things. So back to Mark 8, 834. If anyone would come after me, if anyone longs to see what I am bringing, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus said this is what is required to take part in the Messiah's new game plan. If you long to be a part of what the Messiah is bringing, if you long to follow me, if you long to come after me and be a part of this thing, then deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. So let's kind of look at these three things. He says, deny yourself. So the reality is, is everybody who wanted Jesus, wanted him to do something, they saw him as a means to an end. Right, so, so everybody had this idea of what the Messiah was bringing. They all wanted Jesus, whether it was Israel was going to be like this mighty nation in the middle of nations. Everybody thought that worship was going to be restored to the way that it should be, right? At the end of the day, they all had an end that the Messiah existed for, right? Jesus was a means to an end. He was giving them what they were longing for. The problem was... That God's plan the whole time for his creation was that God himself would be the end, right? It would never be we use God to get our purposes, that he himself would be the end. And so we naturally recognize that this is problematic, right? Like if, if somebody ever witnesses you using another person for your own purposes as opposed to just like enjoying that person, people see that and then they go, that's not right. Like when I was a kid, um, I had a friend uh, and I would often want to spend time with that friend because that friend had really great video games, right? And I would, uh, and I loved to play the video games that my friend had. And so I would always seek to find times that we, that I could hang out with this friend of mine, right? And my dad is looking at this and going, do you really like do you really like want to be his friend or are you just using him to get the thing that you want? Right? And I had to go, okay, like I could see how that might be problematic. You have a good point. Let me think about this a little bit, right? Because you, we we know, we naturally know it's wrong to use a person to kind of get our own thing out of them. And so Jesus says, "You know what? If you want to pursue what I have to bring, I'm the priority." You have to abandon your priorities for me. Right, so, so our reality as a church is that we long to see Jesus bring about new, abundant life through this place. We long to see him renovate people, right? We want to see this. The implication is, if at any point this becomes about, like, making someone else's name great, like making someone else look really good, or making sure that we only participate in this as much as it is convenient for us, right? Or making sure that we never have to become uncomfortable 
to see the things that we really, really long to see. Like if at any point it becomes about any of those things, then what we're doing is we're lifting up other priorities in front of what Jesus says. We actually like miss out. Like if at any point we lift one of those up too highly, then we actually miss out on what the thing that we say we long to see Jesus do. Right, so, uh, so that's deny yourself. Then he says the next thing you have to do is take up your cross. Right, so you might hear me say, okay, self-denial, I have to set, set what I want aside. Okay, I think I can handle that. Right, okay, so push that. All right, next thing, take up your cross. Okay, so if the first one was kind of hard or maybe not even all that hard, the second one is impossible, right? Because what you're told to do is something that is just like nobody has any categories for. This was an earth-shattering call. When Jesus would tell disciples, followers, that they need to take up their cross. Let's just talk about the Roman practice of crucifixion for a second. So crucifixion was reserved not just for any criminal. Like, um, so, so those who had crimes which would jeopardize society, right? Those who were seen as the, the things that they did would actually be bad for society and bad for the fabric of society. Rome ruled these things as inappropriate. Sometimes insurrection was the word that was used for people who would be crucified. These were not just people who did any sort of crime. These are the people who are jeopardizing everything for everybody, and so, so this is, these are the kind of people who were crucified. And this practice then, crucifixion, was a practice that is so severe that it was actually illegal to crucify Roman citizens. Roman citizens could not be crucified. You had to be a non-Roman citizen if you were, because if you were a Roman citizen, it's very unlikely that you're going to do anything to jeopardize society. So this can only be coming from people who are not Roman citizens. And so, uh, so here's what they did. Romans, what they, they had to do, there was a, a shortage of wood. They had to do everything they could to conserve wood. And so they would reuse pieces of the cross for, for all the people that they had to execute. They would take vertical posts and plant them in the ground. The vertical posts would sit in the ground and they would be prepared for people to be hung on them. So uh, why, why would they do this? Well, you don't just like put a stick up there, right? That's not all you do. But then there is this horizontal beam that you take and you put up and you take down and you put up and you take down. Now, why do you do this? So that after the person, the, the, the criminal, had been mercilessly beaten, that they could take this horizontal post that goes up on the cross and the Romans would actually tie uh, one hand to one side of the post and one hand to the other side of the post. And the person then would be paraded around the streets of the city so that the society which that person is jeopardizing, the people in that society which that person is jeopardizing, could mock the person who is walking down the streets with their arms stretched out. They could spit on them, they could kick dust at them, they could beat them. There was a series of things that were permitted for this person who was walking through the streets with their arms stretched out. 
Like, because you, you person who's walking here, you jeopardize everything that is, quote, civil about the lives of these people. And because you jeopardize that, you deserve the worst kind of punishment. So this is, to carry a cross was to know that you are condemned to die painfully and slowly because after you walk through the city, then they lift that beam up and put it on the vertical post and you hang there and your lungs start to collapse because your body cannot sustain being hung like this. So you're condemned to die painfully and slowly. It was to know to carry a cross was to be mocked and derided by every person you would come across. And to carry a cross was to be excluded and shamed by society. And Jesus says, not only must you abandon your priorities, but you must take up your cross. You must accept whatever sacrifice is necessary to continue following me. So, uh, so I want to do a little bit of training right here. So last week, I said um, that I would add one new thing to my teaching, my preaching, that I would not preach a sermon without telling you how the words that we're talking about relate specifically to how we influence and impact and disciple other people, right? How, how we uh, just work in the lives of other people because we recognize that if we're called to be disciples, that means that we're called to disciple others, right? We're called to influence the lives of others. So how does carrying my cross, the call to carry my cross, inform my discipleship of others? So there is a prerequisite here, which is that in order to answer this question, you would actually have to know the names of those both Christian and non-Christian who God is calling you to influence, right? So, so we have to cover one thing before we get to the other thing, and that thing is, like, we need to figure out who am I called to influence, right? So let's just cover that really quick so we have some clarity here. Who am I called to influence? So if you don't have an, an immediate answer to this question, if you don't have clarity on this, then this is what I want to invite you to do. Number one, I want to invite you to pray and make a list, so pray and make a list. Spend time in prayer with God and start writing down the people that he would draw to your mind. And these are the people that you're going to write down. Uh, number two, three to ten people. Jesus had 12. I don't think I'm better than Jesus. So I'm going to limit it to three to ten people who are both lost, not yet Christians, and found. They are currently Christians, right? And these should, there should be a fair mix of both in these categories, right? Because we want to recognize we're always seeking to bring the good news to new people, right? So three to ten people, both lost and found. And then number three, I'm going to tell you to stay attentive to the ebbs and flows. So as a person grows, uh, or, or as, as just realities change, there may be an opportunity to take one of the people you're influencing and say, okay, this person needs to influence you now, right? And so then there, there opens up a new spot. And the thing that you want to be aware of is there, there could always be this kind of shifting group of people that you know it's your calling to specifically influence, right? So, so I say all of this to say we, we can't actually talk about how can we effectively disciple people if we're not aware of who it is exactly that God is calling us to influence and disciple? So if you, uh, if you don't have an awareness of that, I would really invite you this week or sometime soon to spend some time in prayer and begin kind of understanding this with clarity in your own life.
So, uh, okay, so then, talking about taking up our cross, I want you to take this question this week and pray about it. What sacrifice might God be calling you to make for those he's calling you to influence? What sacrifice might God be calling you to make for those he's calling you to influence? Because Jesus literally took up a cross for his followers. And if we are to emulate Jesus, then we have to understand that if there are those he's calling us to influence, then, then it might be appropriate for us to say, like, imagine it's my backyard neighbors, which is a high possibility that Jesus is calling me to influence. Um, that might mean that another point in my schedule that I might typically set aside for time with my closest friends, uh, time even just to myself, uh, I'm going to set that time aside because I know Jesus is calling me to influence my backyard neighbors. So I'm going to make more time for them. I'm going to sacrifice that time in order to make sure that I can build a relationship with them, invest in them, uh, share the gospel with them, and, and those kinds of things. So what sacrifice might God be calling you to make for those he's calling you to influence? And so, so, you know, as we look at Jesus' example, the question that we have to answer is, how might we follow his example with those that we're called to influence? Okay, so that's the, the training piece. So that's take up your cross, and now we got the last piece, which is follow Jesus. So, so the word disciple and the word follower, they're very closely related words. To be a follower of a particular teacher was not just to know everything that that teacher had to say, right? It's not just to grow in your awareness and your knowledge of what they were teaching, but it was to prioritize their priorities. It was to heed their instruction. It was to emulate their example. It was to become like the teacher in every way and not just retain the things that the teacher said. So the implication of this is if you long to pursue the king, to see the things that the king is bringing, then you need to decide to answer only to the king. So, so Jesus, he basically says, anybody who, who longs to witness my work in the world, anybody who longs to see the things that I am bringing, this is what you need to do. You need to abandon your priorities, accept the necessary sacrifice, and answer only to me. So in other words, the call of the Jesus follower is absolute surrender. Like if we're called to follow Jesus, then, then what that means is that we have to, and we long to see the things that he is bringing that doesn't happen apart from absolute surrender. So, uh, so you might look at that, um, or, or anybody might look at that, and then be prone to ask the question, like, why would I make such a sacrifice? Would I, why would I surrender so much? And so, um, so then in Mark 8, 35, he kind of gives a rationale, right, to any person who would say, why would I do this? In Mark 8, 35, this is what he says. He says, forever, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So, so why would I surrender? Well, because the king holds the promise of life in his hand, right? He is the one who, who, who says what happens with life. 
He is the one who grants life. He is the one who brings it about. Why would I surrender? Because where else can we go but to find the words of life but with this guy? So Jesus, he gives this incredible, incredibly difficult calling. And he gives, he gives further rationale beyond that. And then at the end, he, he ends that calling with a promise. And it's that promise that I want us to zero in on this morning. Mark 9, 1. At the end of this difficult call. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. What would happen is that the apostles, the disciples, they would witness Jesus' death and then they would witness his resurrection. And then after they witnessed that, after they see what Jesus was actually able to accomplish, they would surrender everything. And then the Holy Spirit would come and he would fill them. And so in the book of Acts, we read about what happens after this Holy Spirit comes and fills them. The power of the kingdom of God begins invading lives, one after the other after the other, and it does not stop. Like the work of Jesus' renovation in people's lives would explode. Like Peter Peter sees Jesus dead and raised and is now absolutely surrendered. And Peter comes and he preaches like two or three sermons and thousands of people believe in Jesus. Uh, Followers of Jesus, living absolutely surrendered, uh, receiving the Holy Spirit, would begin performing miracles and healings. Church, the church would be in prayer. So in a particular scene, the church would be together in prayer. Peter is in prison right now. They would be praying, they would be seeking the Lord, and they would experience this moment where the room shakes. They have no explanation for what happens. And then who comes in the door but Peter, because an angel has set him free from prison. And then uh, Peter and John. They'd, they'd walk into the, the synagogue, and as they'd walk up to the synagogue, there'd be this man sitting outside, and uh, the man would be asking for money, and Peter would say, I don't have a lot of money, but what I do have, I'll give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk, and the man would stand up and walk. Faithful ones like Philip and Stephen, so guys who weren't even listed among the apostles originally, right? These guys were uh, called deacons, right? And what did they do? But they helped to, to kind of administrate the daily distribution to those who were in need. That's really kind of what they did. But we actually see these guys, Philip and Stephen, like preaching the gospel to people. Stephen goes and preaches the gospel and he ends up being martyred, but then Philip goes and he preaches the gospel. And then uh, what happened? He like starts healing people, miracles start happening, and then he expands the gospel to two previously unreached people groups. He goes and he, uh, the, the, he, goes and he, he meets the Ethiopian on the road and he shares the gospel with him, right? And, and what we're left to assume is that the Ethiopian then carried the gospel back to Ethiopia. And then 
The Holy Spirit catches Philip up and takes him somewhere else, right? And then, and then we read this other story in, uh, in Acts where Philip is among the Samaritans, right? A previously unreached people group. And he is performing miracles and working great wonders. And then what happens? But the Holy Spirit falls and the Samaritans believe in Jesus. And the gospel now expands to a previously unreached people group. And Philip wasn't even one of the apostles, so the Holy Spirit begins moving in powerful ways and the things that the disciples long to witness, long to see for years, though they didn't know exactly how they would work themselves out, the things that they longed to see would actually start happening. So Alliance Bible Church, the things that we long to witness, lives renovated, People healed in body and mind and soul and spirit and emotions. People finding hope. Dark spiritual forces being driven back. People walking in new life and joyful relationship with Jesus. Raising up new leaders who will advance the gospel. Raising up missionaries here in this church to send to the nations. Unreached people groups. People who do not currently have the gospel. There's something crazy. We have the same Holy Spirit. Like, I actually believe it can happen here. The kingdom of Jesus can break in here. But it cannot happen without surrender. So what? I have three questions, and I will ask them all to you simultaneously. Number one, what priorities need abandoning? Number two, what sacrifices need accepting? And number three, what call from Jesus needs answering? I've asked this morning a team of people to represent us in carrying the beam of this cross into the sanctuary, and I'll dismiss them at this time. Among these people are those from multiple generations in our church, they have all been a part of this church for varying lengths of time. One of them happens to be a founding member of Alliance Bible Church, Norma. And they all together, what they're going to do is they are going to represent us in carrying our cross into the worship service this morning. So what is the cross? The cross is a symbol of what Jesus endured, what he took up for our sakes. So uh, what happened on Sunday, on Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and people were waving palm branches and celebrating that their king had finally arrived. They were saying Hosanna, which means save now to the son of David. They were, uh, they were singing this and they were saying it and they were waving their palm branches, but they didn't quite understand what they were saying. Because on Friday, he would be walking through the same streets of Jerusalem with his arms stretched out on the cross. And he'd be carrying that cross on his back through those streets so that he might extend to his followers forgiveness, relationship with God, abundant eternal life and freedom from sin and darkness. So, so the cross represents 
what Jesus did for his followers, what he took up for his followers, but also for us in this place and those watching online, may it also represent this for us. May it come to represent not only what Jesus surrendered, but what we have to surrender in order to see Jesus' renovation take place here. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to observe as they carry the cross in. The worship team will be playing some music while they carry it in, and then after they finish carrying it in, they're going to set it right up here on the stage, and we'll sing a couple of songs and worship together. And that week, what would happen is that horizontal beam was laid out for a criminal named Barabbas. What would actually happen is that Barabbas would be freed from his punishment and Jesus would be forced to take his place and carry that very beam up to the post that was sitting in the ground. So church, I'm going to pray. Would you please pray with me, please? Lord, this morning I ask that you would shape and form our hearts to understand the kind of people that you desire us to be. Lord, that we might be those who would influence lives in a significant way to see the people that you are drawing to faith actually come to faith, to see the people that you are drawing into your new life actually receive that new life. Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize whatever it is inside of us that needs to die in order to see this life come about. Whatever uh, priorities that we need to abandon, Lord, whatever whatever call from you that we need to answer, whatever sacrifice we need to accept, Lord, let us not spend a long time before we determine those things and we actually begin setting them aside. Lord, because it's going to require something from each of us that we actually begin setting them aside that we might begin seeing here in Bartlett the kingdom of God coming with power. Lord, this is something that only you provide. We trust you for it. Only you can do it. We simply need to surrender. And I have not the ability to name what that looks like for the people in this room. Only we can figure that out. Only you can help us determine that. So we need you to do it. And we ask this, that you would do this work in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.